Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. If you're expecting to hear Steve Plater's dulcet tones, we're going to have to wait just a few moments because we're going to go back in time again with some classic TT Podcast episodes. It's me, Chris Pritchard, in the studio, all alone. And you know what? Without Steve Plater... It's not a very nice place at all, I don't like it. I can't wait to get back to recording some wonderful podcast with that wonderful man. But until then, let's take it back in time and revisit some of the classic TT podcasts from days gone by. You might be a new listener that hasn't gone back through the back catalogue. Now you don't need to, because we're going to bring the back catalogue right up to date. This week we're replaying Michael Rutter's episode from back in February 2022 and I'd actually just finished reading his book so it was amazing insight to sit down with him and get a little more detail out of what I'd learned in that book. And Michael Rutter, as experienced as he is, it's always nice to hear that he's still got that fire in his belly, he's still got that desire, just like those 22-year-olds, just like those 25-year-olds that are just getting started with their TT career. And we even saw that at TT 2023. Are we likely to see him in TT 2024? There's a good possibility. But before we get into this episode, just a quick reminder that normal podcast service will be resumed. But for now, enjoy this classic episode. And make sure you leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. For today's episode of the TT Podcast, we are joined by Michael Rutter. Remarkably, 2022 marks this man's 28th year as a TT racer. Seven victories and 18 podiums are the headline stats, but it's a career that is much more than just numbers, both at the TT and away from it. Far too much to cover in just one podcast, but certainly enough to fill a very interesting biography. So we're going to try our best to get into it all today. As the most experienced rider in British superbike history, a podium finisher in the World Superbikes and World Championship GP racer, he's also a multiple Northwest 200 and a Macau race winner. You would think that getting onto a bike and racing flat out is a walk in the park for him now, but he openly admits that when it comes to the TT, it's frightening, even nightmare-inducing, and that anyone says otherwise isn't telling the truth. So, what keeps this man coming back to the TT nearly 30 years later? Let's see if we can find out now as we introduce Michael Rutter. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Michael, it's been a while. He sat there looking well and uh, hopefully full of loads of information for our listeners. Yeah, you know, um, it's uh, another year coming round and, you know, we've had obviously two years of um, no TT, um, which we've all really missed, and trying to set ourselves up and even on the way up here to, for today, dropping parts off, so it's uh, full steam ahead. So the question that we ask all our guests when they come on, if they're a TT racer, we're rolling up to the line, you're getting into the arch, they're counting you down for 10 seconds to go, you're waiting for that tap on the shoulder. What, and a man who's been and experienced it a lot of times, what is going through your head? The first one is, I think, when you are, like, for the definitely for the race anyway, and you you go past the bit of guardrail, the mate, your mechanics suddenly are pushed back out the way because they're not allowed to go past that boarding. And uh, then you feel like you are on your own. Um, and it's, it makes you feel cold down the back of you. You know, it, it's uh, the hairs on your back, your neck stand up. It's uh, um, And then, you know, sometimes on a hot day, you've got the bike there and it's switched off and uh, you think, oh, my God, just pray it's going to start, you know, because you just, <laughs> you know, motorbikes, uh, you know, highly tuned bikes as well like that. You've got to be pretty, uh, 
you know, everything's got to be right and, uh, you know, and it fires up and then you start, you know, you see the first one go off and then, you know, right, you start counting, I do, that's what I do, I just start count down and try and get it dead right so when I see them, the next one off, I know another 10 seconds and then I'm away and uh, when he, like, uh, they don't just touch you on the shoulder, they, they, he grabs you on the shoulder mm-hmm. and you can really feel it and... Uh, you think, wow! I've, you look down that road, and you can't see. There's no one about. All you can, you know, on as races wise, and all you can see is people in your, your on your left hand side, and a few people on your right hand side, and uh, and uh, Glen Clutcher Road, yeah, um, and it just seemed to disappear. And you think, right? You know, especially on a superbike race or the senior race, you got 226 miles, and. Um, you're off and there's there's no turning back so um it's still to this day you know it, if if anyone says it is you know some people deal with it a different way and when i was younger i probably dealt with it in a different way joking about it but now i think i'm older i go this is a big thing this is you know it's a, it's a it's a long race it's a long race and you've got to be mentally prepared for it and uh, I, I always really struggle that first half of the race i just really really think what this is hard work this is hard work and then you start settling into it and start relaxing but uh when that bloke lets go of your shoulder and that light goes on in your way that's um yeah pretty 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 scary stuff what is actually the first thing that crops into your mind as you're releasing the clutch you go down Glen Crutchery Road away from the grandstand what's the first thing you're thinking about is it the clutch is it do you know what exactly you know it's making sure you got it into gear for a start simple things which you can mess things up with and I've done it myself I've gone to line thinking I've got it into gear and it's half been in gear or something like that it's it just so many things can go wrong and you know I think when I first started we used to have early morning practice um and I think going up to the grid when it was dark and you're sitting on the grid, which not many people have experienced, and the sun's coming up and, you know, they're pushing you down towards the grid. And I've had all those emotions as well, you know, like half asleep at some stupid time of the morning and uh, going off then. And, um, you know, you get people look at you in a certain way, which, you know... um, uh, they just look at you like, are you mad? Kind of thing. <laughs> but um, you know, we keep going back. I've been, I've been there since I've been. Well, oh my God, I've been born to the Isle of Man. We obviously my dad racing and watching him go off down there. And it's, I must admit, it's a lot easier when you're sitting on the bike to someone who you know real well or family member sitting in that pits. You know, it's, uh, it's we've got the easy job. So you you've you've experienced, like I say, almost thirty years of the TT. You'll have seen some massive changes throughout the years and one of those in fact being the the morning practice mm. they no longer do that was it 2003 or earlier than yeah, that I think that they it got rid of it? it must have been roughly about then so so explain to our new tt fans how how the experience has changed so in a morning you would get up well yeah it would just basically you'd uh, the good old days you'd probably get out of the pub and then you'd go <laughs> um, you know down to uh, go back to your hotel Rutland hotel on the front and set your alarm for, I, I can't remember I mean it was something like ridiculous like four o'clock in the morning and you know you'd get up and you'd go out and, it's, and it was it was just starting like when you come onto the front seagulls are just coming around I can still picture it now and oh, it, it was cold as well 
and um, you'd walk up there, or walk, sometimes I used to walk up there or jump in the van, and um, yeah, it'd just be all madness running around up there, everyone trying to get themselves up onto the grid first and get away early. And um, yeah, there, it was just the the light, the you know everything about it, the feel and the smell, the smell in the morning, the you know in that morning when it's, the sun's rising, you could the freshness of it was yeah. just amazing, especially going over the mountain. So you're getting up at, at, at that time in the morning to get practice underway. Is that so they can open the rest of the island so when regular people who live on the island can just go about their business? Exactly. That's and they're what getting it was. woken up by, by bikes going past them. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, and you'd, you'd hardly, you know, I know they had to have marshals, but there wasn't, wasn't many marshals out there. I don't blame them at all, you know, being up there. and uh, But it was... It's mega experience. Mm -hmm. I must admit, I used to moan about it all the time, but looking back on it, I'm so glad we did it because it's just absolute madness. Like now, these kids you know. nowadays don't know yeah, how easy they've they got don't it. Know they don't know Believe the me, there's never a true word said he moans about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that's the biggest change you've seen throughout the whole of the, your TT career then, or or is it the bikes, the circuit itself? I, I've, you know, like we are talking about this earlier on, about... Uh, there's been two years layoff for everyone, you know, no one has been racing the TT and how people will deal with it. And since I think I did the TT from 93, 94, 94. Up, yeah, not, up to up to 2000. And then I, people said, oh, we stopped doing the TT because you didn't want to do it. I wanted the TT constantly every year. It was just teams. At that time, the TT was probably on a downward scale and the British Championship what I was doing uh, they were paying me to win British Championship or try and win British Championship mm -hmm. and they were saying if you're doing the TT when I employing you so and even Honda you know like Honda's been massive at the TT like they turned around to me in, in 2005 and uh, 2004 and got factory Hondas oh, I can just let me just take one of these to the TT this will be no if you're doing the TT we're not interested um, in employing you so it was hard for me because I kept on asking and asking and uh, eventually, you know, I got, you know, uh, the superbike thing was dying off for me then uh, as being, a, you know, a championship contender, I'd say. So, um, yeah, um, come back in 2007 and, uh, were, you know, it was asking me how people are going to deal with, you know, um, mm. coming back. I had seven-year layoff and it was... I thought I knew the place. Well, I did. I, I, I'd done. I'd won races around there. I, I'd done it. And the big thing for me was bikes had changed massively. Mm -hmm. Like a, a, a super bike was, like, like a six hundred was like a an old super bike. Yeah, yeah. And then a super bike was just like, and I always used to go out on the worst bike. I thought go out on the super bike, scare the life out of myself, and then everything else is easy. Then so that was my plan. <laughs> Which I did do on on that year in two thousand seven. Oh my god! I come in and I sat on a fuel drum. I thought, what the hell? I just didn't have a clue. I knew what corners come. I knew what comes comes next. But if you think about it, it's too late. So you got to mm -hmm. do it without thinking about it. And that's my problem. I was thinking about it. Road surface had changed. Track had changed. Bikes, tires. It was you know. And this two year layoff. People are saying, what this difference going to be? And I'm thinking. It's not going to be as bad, but it's, it is going to be. It's it's going to be difficult. Like my superstar bike now, uh, we run this year with Bathams. Um, you know when we're doing the Bathams racing team, 
you know, we've got 210 brake horsepower at the back wheel of a, of a, you know, and that's a genuine 210, you know, it can be more in some, in some cases. And, um, yeah, there is going to be a bit of a shock for people again. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, 2007, that was my first year, that centenary, you know, um, and it was funny for me watching you, in all fairness then, because obviously I was a wide-eyed and watching everybody with, an ex- with, with any experience around a course. And, uh, yeah, it was certainly very different watching you. And I think, if I'm honest, be, you being very uneasy about the whole situation. Oh, yeah, 100%. I wasn't happy with the bikes. We broke down in every session. And, yeah, I think we only finished one race. And I just hardly had any laps as well. And everyone put the, you know, expecting me to be up there and... and you know, be a contender, and uh, God, it was just uh, uh, a massive wake-up call, actually. And uh, you know, you don't realise if you don't do something every year, every year, you, you lose your feeling to it. And uh, I, I don't think I ever got that back. Really? Hmm. Wow. I think um, you know, I I, I I should have stuck it like John did. You know, John stuck at the TT, and that's his. That was his thing. You know, he, everything was the TT, and. Um, I just thought I was brought up with my dad. My dad said, "If you can, if you can do a bit of everything, there's always somebody who wants you, you know, to ride for you." And that's the thing: survival in this sport is trying to keep yourself in a job as well. You know, it isn't just racing and surviving racing. You got to try and have things about you. So my dad took me to do road racing, short circuits, and I thought, if I can do a bit of everything, I'll always, you know. Um, but in sometimes looking back now, I wish I'd have concentrated on one thing. Mm-hmm. I'd have probably been more successful, and um, but you know you can always look back and make up uh, make things like that. So, is that why? If you know, obviously you mentioned John McGuinness then, with him being so so much more experienced and sticking really to to one trade to a certain degree. But is that why he had such the hump with you when you beat him in the TT zero? Race? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the, well, the second best thing in my life that was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't want to bring that up. But yeah, it was. Uh, we've always had a bit of banter. Always had a bit of, I'd say, rivalry, and it's all been it got blown out of proportion a bit sometimes. But we we both love each other. You know, like is is the well, we both like a couple. Really, is obviously the bad part of the marriage. But that that race that weekend, obviously, we were, we were um, we were teammates with Honda as well, and it was just banter all the way through. And uh, and uh, he he thought he already had his the watch and the trophy in his trophy cabinet at home. He'd, he'd won it, and uh, he, to be honest, he thinks it was a setup when I was dolloping around all practice we did do a lot of work and that's the thing you see i think he rode his bike he couldn't ride it any quicker it was set up how mew can do because i rode for them and basically that's it you just ride it with my moto sis bike i could change everything i could we, we could alter different strategies for different parts they told me to ride it quicker in certain places um and they told me to, i had so many figures to work out and i am not the cleverest person and it was so difficult um, because top speed always uses too much power, so I had to go slow. And shutting the throttle is the hardest thing you could ever do. So I'll be straight. I was sitting there doing, I think, 150, 150 miles an hour, and I was thinking, oh, my God, just want to go yeah, flat out. Yeah. I just couldn't do it because I knew I had to keep it for that last stretch of the mountain. And got my boards, and I thought, right, I can give it now. And uh, that was the thing. I think he could see me. He caught me on the road, um, and he, he, he thought he'd won it. And I just let, you know, I'd saved my energy and, 
you know, and uh, I won it. And uh, <laughs> when I, it was so funny because I was like, like laughing about. It. Obviously, I was happy because I won. And he was like, I, I turned to him on the. He was going. It's a joke. I won't. I can't swear, but he, this is a joke. This is a in joke. This racing. It's like this is a nothing. <laughs> And I was just saying, I shouldn't have had so many beef burgers, should you? <laughs> and he, I didn't realise he took me on. But, yeah, we got speaking again about six months after. It was all right. So, And uh, we get on well now, so we can laugh about it. You just mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago, uh, your dad, Tony Rutter. Now, obviously, Tony, your dad, uh, legend uh, of a rider, you know, seven TT wins. Did that put added pressure on you at the TT, subconsciously, you know, with having a father so famous and so flipping good? Not really. Um, and uh, I said the reason for that, my dad won eight anyway, but oh, you know, sorry. he gets, sorry. no, well, officially on paper, he's, yeah. he always used to go mad at me. And now he's unfortunately not here. I've got to stick up for him. There was a race <laughs> in a race, and uh, he, 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 he did win eight, and he used to go mad about it when people used to say seven. So. Uh, I've stuck up for you there, Dad. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there is a brilliant side of tea, but there is a, you know, dark side where, you know, lots of people, there has been people hurt, lots of people hurt. And um, I can, I grew, I grew up with it, you know, I remember seeing people and then not seeing them. And I, I, I know the good and the bad. So I went there under, under the pretense, I, if I, I never in a million years thought I'd win a race around there. So, when I did, it was, you know, fantastic. But it, I went there under that, this is bloody dangerous, you know, and it was drummed into me, you know, you've got to be careful. I, I was, yeah. From your dad? Your dad was drumming it into you? Uh, no, I, I think yourself. myself, right. because I'd seen things where I got, yeah. I'd seen the highs and the, and the lows mm-hmm. of the place. And uh, I think I, I I had no, you know, anyone who's done the TT and won the TT and or even finished the TT, it's... Um, it's a massive, massive achievement, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not just that race; it's the whole of practice week, going through that, and the whole of race week. It's uh, uh, and the sleepless nights. You know, we were saying at the beginning, I used to have, I used to wake up, uh, uh, you know, in January, February time, like shoot out of bed and think, you know, things and like that, and things will happen or something like that. It was, um, you know, it 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 scars you, really, in a good way. Yeah, you know, but it scars you. You know what I mean? It's uh, you don't stop thinking about it, and even now, it's you know, I'd say yes, less because I've got nothing to prove for me personally. I, I'm doing it because I enjoy it, and I've got Bathams who I've been so lucky with, and they've sponsored me for since 2009. Uh, they enjoy it. they enjoy the road racing, they enjoy British Championship, they enjoy everything. But I mean, you know, you can't beat on a nice summer's day at the TT. You know, uh, being there, even watching, sitting on the banking with your radio, um, it's uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So let's go back to the start of your TT career and your your first win. Should have been in the Formula One. Oh yeah. No, I've, I've read I've your got loads of excuses. Yeah. <laughs> during the war. <laughs> so during the war, you got your first TT victories. But it was 1998, right? And I was yeah, I was, 1998. I was um, it was on. Uh, we got some factory Hondas. We, me and Ian Simpson, were the luckiest people alive. We got, um, un- unfortunately, for Philip McCallan, he had a crash a couple of weeks before the TT. We were meant to be running our, our normal Hondas, and um, yeah, we got to these uh, factory, and mine was just absolutely beautiful. It was just all in carbon. They hadn't put like the the bodywork 
on it from you know the Honda bodywork on it. It had this tank, aluminium tank. Everything about it was just. So is this is this an RVF? This is the no RC 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 forty five right RC forty five right yeah, yeah. and it was a factory factory mm-hmm. bike like and you can tell that it's got a gold lever. So it was and then Ian Simpson had the um, I'd say the the world endurance one right uh, which is identical. Auto was quick release front spindle and and <laughs> rear hub as well. So yeah, and we both just. We both pulled up there and then we went out for, my God, the most terrible handling thing you could ever imagine. Me and him were so scared. It was like locked a lot from start line down to um, going into Quarter Bridge, out of Quarter Bridge, going into Braddon Bridge. You know, you just didn't know what it was going to do. A lot to do with tyres and uh, Michelin uh, and and the handling of the artifact. It was just so powerful as well. Really? And we just um, we really struggled with them. And when you say lock to lock from full left turn to full, full lock, right you'd throw turn the pads to, back. You'd pull. Yeah. You'd pull. You'd, and this is no joke. I'd probably before I got to Quarter Bridge, I'd have to pump the brake seven times from brake lever to get. Not wasn't just me, me, Ian as well. You know, just to get the thing. So this is because it, 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 it just it, basically just flap. The front wheel would flap. It, it wouldn't go lock to lock. It would be like a. a High speed, you know. What they call shaking its head. Yeah, shaking its head, yeah. but you would throw the pads. But then it would tie itself into a lock to lock situation, other parts of the track, and it was frightening. We got them better, but they're still there were animals to ride. Is that because it's it's a it's a bike built for it was a circuit? Short short circuit. Right. I think as well the tire situation didn't help, you know, because that's the main thing on on a bike. The tires, if they don't work, the bike won't work basically. So you've got to have. They're the best tyres in the in the world for short circuit, but you know um, they just weren't stable at the TC. Real good grip, but they just wouldn't. But uh, yeah, so we did that, and uh, I think I used to wear contact lenses then, and I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was leading by for a few seconds, and I lost the lens, and I lost both lenses, and then one came back in, and then it was just a horrific race. I lost the race by about. I think one point one seconds or something. I was absolutely so you, gutted. So as you lost one, you couldn't you couldn't see. Couldn't I couldn't see. see. I could see at one eye, but yeah. I couldn't see it, you know. And it was, uh, <laughs> and my eyesight was like really bad. Not the slight. I wouldn't be able to see like you two. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It was really bad. And uh, yeah, I lost that. And then the next one, it, it, it I, le- I was leading the senior, and uh, at the bottom of um, Braille, uh, I passed Ian on the road, Simo on the road, and I thought, right, all I got to do is. Stay in front now. Mm-hmm. I caught him on the road, and I hit the bottom, and I hit the bottom so high, bro. I, I heard the, I heard the front tire go. I thought, oh no, it's just like a massive gush of air, and he's um, like, and I just thought, went to quarter bridge, and the front just like took from under me. I thought, oh no, no way. You got a puncture. Uh, yeah, got a puncture. So, and you yeah, made it I'd, all the way to quarter bridge with a puncture. No, he's on the second lap. I come through. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, the song finishing. I, I, I. No, but from Brayhill all the way down to. Oh yeah, because oh, well, when you're going quick, it's the tires thrown out anyway. So I suppose yeah, it's yeah. When yeah, you're slowing yeah. down, then it just start. And then I went to Braddon Bridge and it just folded <sighs> again. I thought, oh, you know, so that was the end of that. So the race I won, which I didn't think I'd ever win, and it was, to be honest, we a bit of luck as well. Um, was the 600 race, um, but you need a bit of luck at the TT to win a, mm-hmm. win a TT and. Um, uh, yeah, basically, uh, I think it's motorcycle city bike, and it's one of Philip McCann's bike. Fantastic bike, and it started drizzling the last half a lap, 
and it was uh, I made up my time. I think I was first on the road as well, so it helped. And yeah, I won my first TT. So you know, it's um, there was a lot of luck involved as well. So I think everybody, not one person, has been in this studio and not said when they've talked about their race win that they had a little bit of luck. And I think that's what you need, right? Well, especially the Alaman TT. It's, it's a bit mm-hmm. like an endurance race to a certain degree. And there's a mechanical side, you know, and uh, various other things can happen, of course. But uh, yeah, without that, you need a little bit. Of so luck. how long? How long would a six lap race be time wise? What are we talking, an hour? Around two hours yeah. for, for a superbike, six lap race. You know, super sports, four mm-hmm. laps. Um, but yeah, I, do you know what? I've learned an awful lot from that little chat from Michael just there. Yeah. You know, he's saying, obviously, you can't see past the end of his nose without a flip. You see, I always thought you was a dirty rider. I've just suddenly realised you can't see where you're flipping going when you're bumping well, and barging I, I, into I, people. I've got, I've, yeah, I've got to <laughs> say, I did have, um, you know, a laser surgery in two. I thought, right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to have my eyes operated on that, this laser surgery. I thought, I'm in this again. And then I never did the TT then for seven years. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, having a lot, you know, like the time um, I rode for um, VNM on the on the Yamaha ones, you know, they were fantastic, handled so well. The only problem is I had David Jeffries as a teammate, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I went to the Northwest. They called me in because Ian Simpson had crashed, so I took Ian's ride on, the, and I went to the Northwest and I won, I think, all the. Um, the big races and I won the 600 race I think once yeah I think I won four that day and uh, I thought wait till I get to TT I'll show David you know I'm on a good bike here and my god how wrong was I you know um, David just made me look like a club racer and um, so basically I I thought the only way I can do now is ride round and hopefully finish second to him in yeah. everything that's how what a different level he was on and uh, I even tried following him and he just like yeah, it was no chance. And uh, that 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 race, that's a suit bike race. We went off, and I seen him parked up. I thought, oh, this is my chance now. And um, obviously, I forgot about Joey Dunlop, didn't I? So <laughs> uh, yeah, he smoked yeah. me instead. <laughs> so I've, I've I've had a few seconds, but I finished I finished second to a lot of fantastic people. And looking back on it, you know, I, I, could, I wouldn't change it for the world. You're talking, obviously, there, you know, uh, DJ David Jeffries and a phenomenal talent, of course, and, and of course, Jerry Dunlop. You know, in, in your early years, there's a, there was a massive amount of uh, talent, TT talent, as well as short circuit, you know, um, from a lot of Scottish riders, very good TT winners, along with the Irish racers, you know, some massive names. Do you believe then it was tougher to win a TT than what it is in the modern day? It's real difficult to say because I've done it for so long, and if I, it's all a relatively all a relative time and bikes, and I'd say, you know, you look back some some big names, but you see some big names now. I, I can't answer that question, and you know, um, I think years ago, if you didn't have a good bike like a Honda or at the time or the Yamaha out there, you weren't going to win. I think the thing with this series and this part of racing now over the last few years in any sport all the motorcycles are, are very very close they're all very good you know it's what colour you like now if if you like that colour and that shape they're basically all going in straight lines like I'm saying uh, at TT I, you know we'd be pumping our brakes seven times in any, any straight to get the thing to you know to even break you get the brake caliper the pads back um, now if you have a hand you'll have bite you think what's wrong you know, it's um, they're all, you know, very good. So it's all a relative to time. I think, yeah, the the, the 
brilliant ride. The speeds are doing now is phenomenal, like what Peter Eichmann's doing. Um, you know, and, and Dean, you know, they're just flying. They are short circuit racing, and you know. But then again, was were we doing that when you know? Mm. Yes, we were. Uh, you know, if anyone says we were, we weren't trying. My God, I tried. You know, and you know, got beat by the best. Like you say, it's all relative, and I guess. If if you ask Peter to go back on on his on his BMW and do a 120 mile an hour lap, he'd be able to do it with ease. Yeah. But put him on a bike that you used to have back in the day, yeah. and he would he would have to ride that bike as hard. Yeah, as well, he you, had, his, you, had, you had different different now. problems. Yeah, and uh, you know the problem was then it wasn't the speed factor; it was they just didn't handle. Yeah, you know, and you'd come in and you know you'd have oil leaking out of different sides of them, and you know everything suspension be hanging out of it, uh, the tires be. The shot, you know, mm-hmm. and now the tyres are so good, bikes are so good, suspension's so good, brakes are so good, yeah. you know, and the track, the track is like a motorway now compared to, you know, like people go to me, oh, you did 109 on your classic bike, and, you know, that's the same as Bob McIntyre or something like that. And, yeah. And I'll go, yeah, but, I mean, my God, how those lads rode on those tyres, on those bikes with the track conditions. On that surface, yeah. You know, it's it, like you say, so you can't say who was better than who was better than. Mm-hmm. It's it's all down to, you need to be there on that day and doing it on that day. I suppose so many things have changed since you first started, especially even photos now are colour instead of black and white. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's one person you always need to beat when you go to the TT. Same with short circuit racing, and that's always your teammate. Now, if you look at the list of teammates that you've had throughout the years, it's a who's who of of TT legends. Like you're a legend of the TT in yourself, but what's it what's it feel like to have those people as teammates? Do you do you look to them and try and steal from them and work out what it is that they're achieving, or do you kind of just go and do your own thing? You do your own thing. Especially, yeah. I always have done my own thing, um, and looking like, like little bits. I wish I had someone to stand with me and be watching and say, Mark, you're doing that wrong, because I didn't. <coughs> mm-hmm. I had my dad come down again, but I told him to clear off, because he was just, you know, talking. You're never going to listen to your dad. No, exactly. And, you know, some things he was right with, some things he was just, you know, he listening to his friends, like, saying, Michael's rubbish here, and like I'd say, I'll tell him to get a pair of leathers on and sit on that thing and go mm-hmm. down there. You know, and uh, so then that there's the end of that conversation. And... um I just wish, you know, like pit stops. I was, I used to come into pit stops like, I don't know, 50 mile an hour slow. I I'll pull up real gently, pull away real gently because I didn't want to burn the cl- And like thinking about it now, I should have come into the pit stop on the back wheel, which I do now, but it's too late. I'm yeah. too old. And, you know, get out as quick as you can. And, you know, if I'd have had someone just by the side of me, you're losing time here, you're doing yeah. losing time there because uh, you don't, you've got that much to think about with five bikes running around and you know with the rest of your the two weeks of the tt so yeah it's uh there's the uh, you know as ray as you know steve you gotta you go in the top of your game to to um to get all all of it right to go and win yeah you're certainly not going to get that from your teammate they're not going to look at you and say hey you can make up a few seconds here <laughs> because but if you look at your teammates it's the whole of the dunlop family robert michael and joey you raced with at some point david jeffries yeah who would you say was 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 the most fierce teammate, the most competitive? We all 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 want to beat. We all want to beat each other. Yeah, I've, I've, I've really got to say we've all got to beat each other. So I think they're all, you know, as bad as each other. Like Robert Dunlop, um, unfortunately, he was my teammate in in '94 uh, when his wheel 
mm-hmm. exploded. But uh, I had Steve Islop, I had in the same garage as me, and I had um, obviously uh, Robert and uh, Philip McCallan was there as well, and they all took me for a lap. And he got, I was in the front, Steve was driving as he was driving, and uh, those two were in the back, Philip and Robert. And they were saying, oh, it's left-hander coming up here. And, like, Steve was going, no, no, it's a right-hander. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> Steve was, like, absolutely pin-perfect. That man was like a computer. Clinical. He would go, yeah. right, Michael, get here, pull on the bars here. And, like, Philip's going, oh, no, where are you? Like, that, looking <laughs> around, and uh, it was, um, yeah. I wish I could have recorded it because it would be, it'd be gold, it would, to... Uh, to to uh, to play that, yeah. So I've had some people try and help me. I've had Philip McCallum pass me, and like on my second ever lap, tapping the back of the seat like, by about. He must have like passed me about hundred mile an hour quicker. I just gone within two corners. So uh, thanks, thanks, Philip. So I guess it's those, those kind of memories that you don't really hear about. You hear about the wins. You hear about um, you know going round, but you never hear about these these stories. Are there memories that you treasure more in the TT? That are away from those race wins that you think about. What not right? Not race. Yeah, right? yeah. But I definitely like are going down the front, going to the music arcades when I was a kid, and putting money in slot machines, yeah. uh, listening to the bikes going off down. You know, when I was braille, waking up in hotel rooms, didn't know where I was. You know, it's like, yeah, walking up when I was just starting to be a teenager, walking up to uh, up the front to going to nightclubs and things like that yeah. and and all the lights down the front I used to love getting up you know always be lucky to have a front room looking over the over the harbour at uh, on Douglas front and all the lights going down the front uh, I used to you know I used to be absolutely devastated like even went to school when I went to school this you know I was absolutely used to the school and they said uh, I said look I'm off to the Isle of Man for two weeks and they go Michael don't worry just go. I think they just wanted to get rid of me. And uh, <laughs> it's like my exams. I remember going in for my exam. I said, look, I want to go to the TT instead because just go. Just just, just go. You know, through, so. through all of this, at what point of wandering around Douglas Promenade or wherever you may be on the Isle of Man, did you know within your own heart that you would be racing there? Oh, from a, when I was born, definitely. I never, you know, I didn't like suddenly wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to have a go at that. I thought... I am going to do that, you know what I mean? I, I really did, yeah. Hmm. No, it just, it scared me because I, I had seen what happened, like I said before, but it, um, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but I mean, you know, I, and looking back on it now, people say, what's your best ever race would you say you've had at the TT? And I think it must have been in 2000, racing with, you know, and Joey Dunlop, I caught him on the road and I thought, right, I won't see him again. And uh, next thing, this Honda comes down Solby Strait, and I, my Yamaha was quick, and he come past me, and he was just wobbling a bit, his little yellow helmet wobbling. I thought, oh, no, not him. I thought, here we go again. And we had probably three laps of passing each other, I'd say at least six, seven times a lap, and I couldn't believe how fast he was. And I really, you know, my respect for him was massive anyway. Mm-hmm. But after that, you know, I'd passed him on the road. He knew it, I was in front of him. DJ was away with it. He'd won it anyway. And he thought, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And he did. 
and uh, got to some part of the track where I thought this is he's going to be so fast to hear and he was reasonably you know I could hold with him and then I got to places where I'm short circuit riding and I thought I'm going to do him like last lap coming down into the Craig we passed each other three or four times before that and coming down to the Craig all the crowds lined up down that one side in towards the pub I thought I'll, I'll, I'm going to do him I'm going to do him here and I, I hit the brakes and I thought he ain't going to stop here and uh, <laughs> I thought oh my god I'm going to take him out and it was that kind of like that close and he peeled in in front of me I thought oh no way and his Honda was so fast I thought I'll do him I'll do him I'll do him <laughs> into signpost I'll go into there and no chance like no chance whatsoever and uh he was so good on the brakes, which I thought I'd be better doing short circuits and him being near enough 50. And uh, and then he went into not being made a big mistake. He just rushed in too quick. And no joke, it was as high as a table, his rear wheel breaking into there. It's that determined the bloke was yeah. to beat me. And uh, oh, you can see on the video, he just when he's coming into view, he just gets the rear wheel on the floor and he turns in and I tip up the inside of him. I thought, right, you know, I'm having this, and I shut the door on him a bit going through the through there, but I got through and went over the line just in front of him, and I thought, wow, Jesus Christ, that's like one hell of a race. It was one where I always really imagined it was the perfect race, yeah. and uh, especially with Joey Dunlop, you know, and that I can still see the exhausts, him and his little red leathers sitting on this big bike and he was a small man mm -hmm. with a yellow helmet what was just bobbling up and down it was just uh the picture and joey i spoke to him a few times and he was so well i never understood a bloody word he said to be honest <laughs> with you but <laughs> he, i just like look at him and go yeah and i think he just looked at me and just thought yeah whatever so we never really said anything and that day uh you know we finished we went in done all the garland stuff and then come into uh, the press room then and they used to have a little bar in there and i'm doing my thing just doing the with um mcn or or was it radio whatever just uh sat down and then joey's just an arm came and joey put a pint down and turned around to me because i enjoyed that yeah that's the only thing i understood so it is yeah. is, is a question as well for you steve obviously it's a um a time trial so you're all starting 10 seconds apart but you do catch each other up on the road i guess some guys will embrace it and some of us will want to be on their own does it make you a faster or better rider racing it short circuit style with somebody else like michael did there or would you rather be on your own doing your own thing no the tt you know um nobody you don't really want to be even catching anybody i mean you do really? realistically because it means you're going faster yeah. than them obviously 10 seconds difference but um you know you're your lines are probably slightly different, but it it um, it destroys your vision of the road. That's the problem, mm -hmm. and it makes it quite dangerous. Now, you know, we're seeing more and more. Michael will probably agree with this now in the modern world, and and certainly, you know, covering with the TV, you're seeing more and more riders catch each other and very quickly, and kind of circulating a lot of the race in twos or sometimes even threes. Yeah, and I believe you know it's quite uh, that's the most dangerous time really because you're not just it's not man and machine against the course you you've got other obstacles in the way or even more. Is that the, is that what you what yeah, it was like with Joey? Exactly, it was it was different times as well. Obviously, yeah, the bikes weren't as quick as they are now, but for me as a racer. It's easier for me. I I struggled. I'd just like not get bored, but I'd be going. You know, I need someone to chase. He were, you know, um, certain people can just do it along their own. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think, yeah, what you're saying. You got the trouble is you haven't got 
you got your view problem when you are behind people and you got lots of stones, everything coming off. Yeah. You're not worried about your radio, also radiator. So, yeah, it's you know, once you're leading a race, it's nice to be on your own. You got nothing, you can just concentrate on the job. But um, if you want pulling along, it is nice when you say you're catching someone and it does make you go quicker. You're, you're a racer at the end of the day and he pulls you along. Well, that's it, yeah, because the way you talk about it, you talk about it like it was one of the most exciting things in the world, but at the same time, you know, it's not like short circuits where you can just sit there and follow someone. You've 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 got so much concentration of solely just focusing on that on that course. It's it must be yeah, really difficult, but yeah, at the same time, who's who's the most aggressive competitor you've been near or against? Well, we know it's you, Steve, don't we? You knew it was <laughs> he did that on purpose, that. didn't he? No, 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 not the, no. Not the TT. Am I, am, am I the most competitive person you've no, ever met? Well, far from it. He says that. He doesn't mean it. <laughs> no, you know, uh, you know, Sim, Ian Simpson. You know, the Scottish, aren't they? They're just like, you know, so tight. See, I, expected, kind of I expected you similar. to say Philip McCallum. Yeah, Philip. Um, yeah, definitely Philip. But Philip was more at the at the end of his career. He was like, you know, um, but definitely on like the Northwest 200, you know, coming down the straight, Philip gave me a big elbow. I thought, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, so I'll give an elbow back. And, like, you know, but we had respect for each other. But, yeah, he was. He was bloody hard racer. But he was fair. Always fair with me. Um so yeah, I, but I didn't race against him. Or oh, he, he was miles above me at the TT at that time. Mm. You know, I think one race, uh, the only race I really did have a good chance against him. Uh, he crashed in in the in the two fifty race, and he was, uh, and I caught him on the road, and then uh, <laughs> had a, and then I had an oil leak, and I crashed at a signpost, which was quite lucky. So. You know, uh, well, I was leading the race again, so it would have been the best couple of years. <laughs> that'll um, that'll segue, segue me nicely on to 2018. One of the scariest moments I've seen caught on camera, you following James Hillier through oh, Bagarro. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. to, to watch that and to, to have a little inkling as to what, what a rider goes through, like, explain what happened for people that haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, basically, um, um, James hit the bottom of Bagarro and... Sometimes he jumps off and there's quite a bit of a step. And he's cut his, caught, caught his sump and the sump's obviously drained a, a load of oil out and then I was the next one down. Hey, yeah, that's one thing, you know, it just happens so fast. Uh, next thing is sideways and it just pitched itself right with no help from me, just somehow strained itself. You are a passenger. And yeah, and uh, it even broke the steering down and per, it pulled the steering down prayer of its holder. That's why I had to pull pulling it just uh, really? it was horrific um and that's one of the things you know it's uh it's nice to uh be out in front for those reasons or but i mean you know if it, it it's one it, that is one of the scariest thing about you know road racing well anything any kind of sport motorsport we do it's it's out of your hands that job you just uh need a bit of luck with you would you say that's the scariest moment you've had in in your career uh no i've had a few i've yeah. had a few <laughs> you know um like you know especially when i say i was leading that racing uh with the vnm bike uh, uh the senior and i just uh my friend he was ray stringer who was uh standing a few miles down the road and he seen smoke coming out of it and he said that's gonna um that's not gonna go much further so lucky at the brakes and the oil in the belly pan went uh, onto the front you know it just and it just front went yeah. down so gently went down there but if that had happened you know three mile up the road and then obviously robert dunlop's crash um 
obviously I've seen Robert lying in the road uh, when he went over Balaf. And I, I look, you know, it was my first year, so I was just wobbling around, really. So and this was, sorry, Michael, this, this was, was 294. This and this was when his wheel collapsed. disintegrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that just after the bridge? The just yeah, just after, after the jump, the I think. Then when you just turn left to go right, right out of the, out of, uh, out there, just uh, obviously the wheel folded away. But I pulled into the pits. I said, Robert's had a crash. Obviously, how is he? And they goes, oh, he's all right, you know. And I goes, what happened? They goes, we don't know. And. My bike was like those RC45s, they were handled terrible, like I said before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went, um, I went off for my lap, and like the bike was handling so bad. Mine was uh, pulled into the pits and the change of wheel. I went out, it was fine. And about the last lap, you know, going up the mountain, it was grinding out, there were sparks coming off, off, I could hear it grinding out. I thought the rear suspension's gone. And um, I finished the lap, pulled in, and uh, I said, oh, the bike was handling terrible again, halfway to the race, it was terrible. And then it happened again in the last lap of the race. And uh, the felt suspension, it was fine. And then someone went to get one of my wheels out the, out the, uh, the uh, where the pit lane is, and they found out there was three spokes missing. And then my bike, while well, I finished the race, I think there was only... I think there was probably about three spokes attached to it at the end. So it was only because I was going slower than Robert that really my, you know, it didn't happen to me. Eh? So these yeah. are magnesium wheels, not not spokes yeah. as you would imagine. I suppose yeah, these these were a Honda, these are you know it wasn't a Honda part; it was another manufacturer of wheels. So, but this is something you you would scare the living daylights out if you knew, if you yeah. knew it straight away. But then afterwards, you're like. Wow! Like yeah, how lucky yeah. you are to have yeah. to have got through it. Like obviously, yeah, exactly. So you know, you do. Like, you need some luck, and but you know, nowadays, touch wood bikes are so good. So you know, and like wheels and the everything's come on so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and I think now they're doing the new. You know, uh, looking at the TT are going ahead. You know, next year as well with less riders and with you know people going off in practice as well. Ten seconds. Um, you know, like I always had the dream. You want to see 110 riders like the old days, and you know it's fantastic to see like seven or eight of them on the road. I was, mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, but they, I think those days are gone, and unfortunately, um, but you know the speeds are there for people, so it's still a, a very, you know, it is a spectacular thing to watch. And you know, anyone I've taken there just thought, wow, and they book again next year. <laughs> We've already spoken, you know, about the TT Zero racing electric bikes, basically, and you've mentioned, of course, um, two different bikes you've ridden and raced. <laughs> you do some testing work. You kind of uh, a wannabe journalist to a certain degree, I think, uh, for, for for quite for one of the lead magazines, you know. And um, what do you think the future is for racing in general? I suppose not just the Isle of Man TT, but what do you think? Do you think electric bikes? I don't. I don't think so. I really don't. I think it'll be something in between. You know, I think electric will come into it, but uh, I think it needs a bit of, bit of both, or a bit of mixture. Um, I don't know how they're going to do that, but uh, that's not my problem. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think electric. They, they, that Mew going to ride the Moto Cis bike. You know, everyone thinks. You know, even McGuinness came up to him. What you're riding those pieces of, you know, for you know, and I said, wait till you ride one. And like even he came and he goes, wow. You know, they've got instant power. It's like you go in a Tesla car or something like that now. They're like break your neck, basically, when they pull away. 
And, you know, we had brilliant. It was like engine braking. You could just chew more into it. You could take some out of it. Everything's so simple. Um, it's just hasn't got the noise and the way a ton, you know, the way. And they haven't got the mileage to, um, but that'll come. Um, but, I mean, for racing, I think you can't beat the noise. Um, the smell. And the smell. And I think it needs something, a hybrid kind of. An electric machine. smelly. Yeah, smelly electric yeah. <laughs> with a massive speaker on the back. <laughs> so we still have the noise, we still have the smell, but we're a bit more um, emission friendly. So what about the future of, of, of Michael Rutter? I mean, Jesus Christ. TT 2022, you're going to be yeah. lining up on the grid again? Yeah. Um, I Like I said before, I, I'm only doing it because I enjoy it. I don't have to do it. Um, I'm lucky I've got Bathams and... Uh, Just on that. Just jumping in there, sorry, mate, but I'll bathe them. You know, they've been with you so long now. What? Mm-hmm. It's not just a sponsor. No, you know, it's like we're, it's like a family, basically. It's uh, you know, Bathams Brewery. You know, it's just like I like drinking their beer, which is even bonus, <laughs> and uh, which is the best bitter. I, I would say that, but it is the best bitter. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've just like I, I think I'm just going to go there and just see how I get on. I've got two good bikes sitting there. I've got a superstar superbike and just go and enjoy it. If I can get a 600, it's not much hassle. Um, the scare me 600s do and, and super twins. Like everyone goes, why wouldn't you rather ride a small bike than the bigger bikes? And you have to try so hard on a 600 and, and a super mm-hmm. twin. Corner speed, everything's got to be. You you have to ride on the wheels off those to, to win. I know you have to ride on the superbike, but... The super bike, you basically get to a corner, stop the thing, turn it, and accelerate out. And you know, it's um, it's uh, th- those things you got to keep. Uh, you got to keep travelling quick. So, going back to the question, I, I would say I'm just I'm 50 next year. I can't believe it. I know I don't look it, Steve, but I'm I'm and like McGuinness is 50. Yeah, yeah. but John's 50, so and about not me. But it's like me and McGuinness, I think John's a couple of days older. I know he looks a lot, lot older, but, he, you know, we've both got a big thing, you know, being, obviously, it's, uh, I think Joe was like 49, I think, when he mm-hmm. was there. So he won. I don't think me and him will, but he might, uh, John might. But I mean, if we can get round there, I think we can both have a, have a safe two weeks, I think, uh, come back with some half-decent results. I think we'll be well happy, both of us. With, with the future, you know, obviously you've been very successful at British Championship running riders, running your Bathams team, um, you know, won a lot of races and, and championships, it's been, been fabulous. What about taking that to the Isle of Man TT? Not just, not 22, but maybe in the future. Oh, definitely. After then. You know, like I say, I've been, I've been at the TT since, well, 49 years. I've, well, obviously the last two years we haven't done it, but I mean, I think I've missed probably four Island Man TTs, you know, in my life. Um, yeah, I'll be doing something if they'll have me. And running, no, but I mean, running uh, yeah. some riders as well as yourself, or even if you step down. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that's, you know, I'd probably look at it more of running someone else. It'd be nice to run someone by the side of me, that, you know, this coming year, which the possibility still may be to do that, but um, it's got to be the right person. And, you know, at the end of the day, Everything costs, and you know you got to put a financial stop to some things. You can't. Oh, we'll do this, do that, because the TT's got to be right. And all my bikes I try and put out have got 
everything you could possibly have on them. And I won't, you know, like I said to Bayern, that bike has got, it'll have the best wheels, the best tyres, the best, wherever it is, the cost is now, you know, it's got to be right. So anyone who I want to ride for us has got to have the same again. So there is a, a, a budget to what we can do. Steve, before we go to your quick fire questions, the last question I want to ask Michael, if you could go back to, to your younger self now and give yourself some advice, because I've, I've, I've read your book and, and there it looks like there's moments where you kind of wish you'd have probably kicked yourself up the bum a little bit. 100%. Yeah, what, I, I, what would you say to your younger self now? I would have... You'd I would say yourself up the bum. I, I would basically, yeah. I'd have. I wish I'd have had someone, like I said, by the side yeah. of me. You know, we're just writing a new book. Um, me and John McAvoy. The second book's more about my dad, and uh, I used to watch him, and I follow my dad in lots of ways. And I think if my dad would have been more aggressive with me when I was younger, mm-hmm. but he, I think he understood it as well. Like you know, the dangers and the enjoyment. I think doing it back then, the enjoyment was like a lot probably better than what we had. You know, but yeah. we had it real good. Now it's like really serious. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was. I think I was just. I was. I was brought up in the old days. Go and enjoy yourself. Go up the pub. You know. Um, yeah. You know. Do this. Do that. And the I lifestyle. Think I, I, yeah. I think it was a whole thing. Which, if I look, I wouldn't change it. You know what I mean? I had a. I've had a brilliant time. You know, and I've gone to each race meeting just like going. This is like. This is fantastic, you know what I mean? And gone to road racing. Look forward to going to the Northwest 200. Right, where's the pub first? Get out of the bar, you know, and go mm-hmm. enjoy yourself. Go to the TT, end up in colours, come out there, get on your bike, enjoy. It was just a different time, different era. Um, and lots of other people probably took it a lot more serious than me. I did take it seriously. I wanted to win when I was on that bike, but if I'd have had that little bit of a nudge probably off people, I would have... Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I could have done better, yeah. Right, should we have some quick fire questions? Let's do it. Quick fire, so I don't need an explanation. I don't Not want quick. any description, just a simple right. answer. Beer or wine? Beer. Two stroke or four stroke? Four stroke. Carburetors or fuel injection? Well, carburetors any day. Mass starts or time trial? Mass starts. Hair dye or teeth whitener? Both. Uh, Mike Halewood or Joey Dunlop Ah, can't can't answer that both both brilliant you read into it how you wish we need an answer before you're allowed home Mike Halewood or Joey Dunlop Joey Dunlop because I raced against him Kyle Fogarty or Steve Hislop easy 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 was the man right you had a lot of success uh, British Superbikes you won a lot of races but BSB champion or senior TT winner? No, you know what it is. Senior TT winner any day. All oh, right, don't get yeah, touchy. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to you about this before. <laughs> <laughs> he was having a moan at me one day somewhere, and I goes, at least you've won bloody senior TT. <laughs> uh, I goes, I would just dream to be on top of that for that senior. God, yeah. Yeah, if we can have a whip round and have a word with a few other riders, so top fifteen drop out. <laughs> we can make. We can make Just that for me. Here we go. <laughs> Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. So there we go, Steve. Another episode in the bag. Another legend of the TT. What a great guy. Yeah, really good, in all fairness. A real good, dry sense of humour. Yeah. You never know when he's flipping happy or not, you know. <laughs> but no, brilliant, you know, just a great guy. But uh, funny, you know, because he obviously 
springs up a load of memories in my mind as well mm-hmm. from so many fabulous riders from the past your Hislops all your Scottish riders your Simpsons your yeah. Simpsons Duffuses you know Joey Dunham it's just incredible I could sit there and listen to, to these tales of you know the the, the late 90s uh, early 90s and into the 2000s it was um, we need another hour with that man we do a trip down memory lane This has been episode three of the TT Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have plenty more star-studded names from the world of the TT on the way in this series. And don't forget, you can get all the latest TT news and features over on iomttracers.com. And be sure to check us out on all the usual socials. We're at TT Racers Official. Thanks for listening.